Welcome to another episode of Tactical Tuesday with Modern Milsim. Through this podcast, we will bring you real-world tactics, techniques, and procedures that will enable you to succeed on the Milsim battlefield. It's time to make ready. Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of Tactical Tuesday with Modern Millsim. As always, I am your host, Craig White. Thank you for being here. Now, today we're going to talk about military operations and urban terrain, or MOUT for short. MOUT is defined as all military actions that are planned and conducted on terrain where man-made construction affects the tactical options available to the commander. Before we deep dive into this topic, Here are some sources you should review to get a better understanding of U.S. Army mount tactics. Army Doctrinal Publication, otherwise known as ADP, 3-90, Concerning Offense and Defense, Army Techniques Publication, otherwise known as ATP, 3-06, Concerning Urban Operations, and Army Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures, or ATTP, 3-06.11, Combined Arms Operations in Urban Terrain. Because CQB is the tactical set used to clear buildings in urban terrain, there's an obvious interplay between it and military operations in urban terrain tactics. That interplay sometimes causes players to confuse one for the other. Here is the difference between the two. Mount tactics are used to get entry teams to the target building. Once the entry team breaches the door of the target building to gain entry, it transitions into CQB TTPs to clear it. To operate successfully in urban environments, you must have a greater understanding of its multidimensional nature. In urban areas, a complex man-made physical terrain is superimposed on an existing natural terrain. This physical terrain consists of man-made structures of varying types, sizes, materials, and construction, sometimes arranged in an orderly manner and sometimes randomly. Multi-story buildings, rubble, traffic dividers, parking garages, and other typical civilian infrastructure can be easily converted to military use as defensive fortifications. Roads can also be used to canalize enemy troops into ambush kill zones where it is difficult, in a near ambush, for the attacking troops to assault through it. Building walls work to stall any assault into the building itself. Finally, urban terrain tends to reduce the relative advantages of fires, close air support, and vehicular support due to the narrow nature of streets, the higher angle of attack needed to pass over nearby buildings into the spaces between them, and hard cover provided by urban materials, especially steel and reinforced concrete buildings. Urban areas present an extraordinary blend of horizontal, vertical, interior, exterior, and subterranean areas superimposed on the natural relief, drainage, and vegetation. The actual size and scope of the urban area of operations is many times that of a similarly sized portion of undeveloped natural terrain. A multi-storied building takes up the same land area as a small field, but each story contains approximately an equal area as the ground floor. In effect, a 10-story building has 11 times more defensible area than bare ground. In addition to other factors, the sheer volume and density created by urban terrain often makes urban operations a deadly exercise. Operating in urban areas always present the danger of being overwhelmed and defeated in detail. Significant planning and situational awareness are necessary to prevent forces from being fixed and destroyed piecemeal. For that reason, tactically mobile and mutually supporting units are critical to success in complex urban terrain. 
For purposes of this podcast episode, we're going to discuss urban tactics first from the standpoint of offensive operations and then from the standpoint of defensive operations. When it comes to small unit offensive operations in mount environments, they are typically achieved in essentially seven phases. Phase one is to reconnoiter the objective. Phase two is to move or maneuver to the objective. Remember, movement is getting combat power into a position to engage in maneuver. Movement is done where there is no enemy contact. Maneuver is the use of fire and movement to reach a position of advantage over the enemy, such as bounding. Phase three is to isolate the objective, whether it be a building or some other train feature. Phase four is to secure a foothold in the objective. Phase five is to clear the objective. Think of battle drill 2A. Phase six is to consolidate and reorganize the attacking force. And finally, phase seven is to prepare for future missions. At the operational level, successful urban operations involve isolating weaker elements of the enemy from the rest of the defending force and destroying them in detail. Now attack, by its very nature, requires that the assaulting force move to engage the enemy. In urban terrain, this often requires the attacking force to move through difficult man-made terrain that acts as ready-made fortifications for defending enemy forces. The situational awareness of attacking forces must be at its highest while they move through it. Toward that end, here are the 10 rules for movement in urban terrain. Number one, the threat can come from anywhere at any time. Do not become complacent in urban environments. Constantly scan potential danger areas in your sector or area of responsibility for threats. In doing so, be aware of potential danger areas both above and or below you. Number two, before moving, have a plan. Before moving, elements need to determine not only where they are moving, but also the route to be taken to get there. Leaders need to ensure that troops under their command follow the movement plan. Number three, when moving, stay out of the open as much as possible. If tactical elements must move outside, they need to stay out of the middle of the road and remain close to the buildings. In addition, elements should remain dispersed while moving to present less of a target for enemy forces to engage. Number four, be aware of danger areas. Tactical elements need to be aware of danger areas such as street intersections, open doorways, and open windows that can serve as ambush points. Also be aware that other danger areas such as upper floor windows, rooftops, and storm sewer entry points. Number five, use noise discipline while moving. Tactical elements need to move as quietly as possible. Use of hand signals for communication within the element is mandatory. In urban environments, noise travels far and reflects off of buildings in multiple directions. As such, any noise you make may end up alerting the enemy to your position even though they do not have a line of sight to you. Number six, stay dispersed while moving. Tactical elements need to maintain five to 10 feet of dispersion between each of its members. A dispersed tactical element presents less of a desirable target. It is also less likely to be eliminated by one attack. Number seven, constantly scan sectors. Members of tactical elements need to constantly scan their sectors or areas of responsibility for threats. Number eight, avoid hesitation in crossing danger areas. Each member of a tactical element should move quickly through the danger areas without hesitation. Number nine, be aware of potential threats both above and below the street. Members of tactical elements should be careful to scan both above and below their position to detect potential threats. And then finally, number 10, never move anywhere alone. Follow the buddy system. 
do not lead the formation except in buddy pairs or larger groups. Now, when it comes to street movement, a squad should divide itself into two fire teams. The two fire teams should move separately in a staggered column near buildings and structures on each side of the street. If there are vehicles parked in the street, fire teams need to move in the area between the parked cars and the adjacent buildings. This provides tactical elements with more covered positions to return fire if attacked. Do not move down the middle of the road. While moving in an urban environment, tactical elements should be no more than 10 yards from available cover. Urban combat is very unforgiving to tactical elements caught in the open. As such, squad and fire team urban movement should focus on the principles set forth in the acronym URBAN, U-R-B-A-N. URBAN is an acronym that stands for the following. U equals use of cover when possible. Squad and fire team leaders should use covered routes, including moving through buildings, to the objective. Such routes should not mask, in other words, block or obscure, friendly, suppressive fires. Open spaces such as streets, alleyways, parks, etc. should be crossed quickly while concealed by smoke and only after enemy positions have been suppressed. Consider using technicals or other vehicular support as cover while moving in the open. Be cognizant while moving that the enemy may be canalizing or directing your movement into kill sacks. R is for reduce your target size while in static positions. Whenever possible, squad and fire team members should avoid silhouetting themselves. This includes avoiding standing in front of doorways or windows, using darkened or shadowed areas to provide concealment, and reducing the body's profile by kneeling or going prone. B is for bypass doors, windows, and corners while en route to target buildings. Squad and fire team members need to cover a likely threat axis as they move while another element provides overwatch. A is for avoid bogging down and maintain dispersion. Bogging down typically occurs when a squad or fire team leaders are indecisive or when the squad or fire team makes contact with the enemy. Tactical elements need to avoid remaining in a static position for very long. Otherwise, the enemy may gain the initiative and counterattack. Dispersion needs to be maintained to lessen casualties from a single attack. N stands for navigate in low percentage areas. As much as possible, squad and fire team leaders should use routes to the objective that are less likely to be traveled by the enemy is less lighted and provides multiple points of cover and concealment. As we discussed earlier in this episode, a squad moves down a road with one fire team patrolling in a staggered column on the left side with the other patrolling in a staggered column on the right. Fire team members on the side of the column facing toward the opposite side of the street should cover upper level danger areas and roads on that side. Team members on the side of the column facing the near building should primarily cover danger areas at ground level. When in doubt, cover danger areas not covered by other team members in the column. In urban environments, danger areas are typically represented by windows, doors, and intersecting streets or alleyways. Typically, the best way to handle windows, doors, and similar danger areas is for each player to perform a rolling cover over the opening. When I say rolling cover, I'm talking about slicing the pie on the near edge of the opening until you reach 90 degrees followed by crossing to the other side while clearing the area inside and behind the near edge of the opening. As each player reaches the opposite side, the next player begins the same motion. This progression continues until the entire unit has moved past that danger area. For larger danger areas such as road intersections, the forward peel technique is typically utilized. This method allows two players to provide overwatch while the rest of the unit crosses the danger area. So this is how the forward peel works. 
First, on approach to the danger area, the first man in the formation will stop and hold cover on the near side of it. In other words, the corner to the intersecting street. As the front man of the formation covers the near side of the danger area, the next man picks up front coverage. Next, the second man in the formation then moves to cover on the opposite side of the danger area. When the next man gets into that position, he points his weapon into the danger area. In doing so, the first and second men have set up triangulating fire into the danger area. As the second man picks up coverage into the danger area, the third man in the formation takes up frontal coverage and moves with the remainder of the formation quickly across the danger area and to the opposite side in a smooth manner. Now, as the last person in the formation passes the first man, he taps him on the shoulder. This action notifies the first man to pull off and join the rear of the formation. As he does so, the first man transitions to pulling rear security. Now, as he passes the next or second man on the opposite side of the danger area, first man taps him on the shoulder to indicate he is clear. At that point, second man rejoins the formation at the rear and assumes rear security duties. Now, once the last man has crossed the danger area, the formation continues its movement to the objective. Now, as you would expect, urban operations often involve the seizure and clearing of key terrain represented by multi-story buildings. To effectively do so, the attacking force must cordon off the target building from reinforcement by enemy forces, must breach the building to establish a foothold, and then clear the building of enemy combatants. So let's talk about these steps in more detail. Prior to assaulting it, friendly tactical elements first must cordon and isolate the target building from its surroundings. This should prevent enemy forces from reinforcing the target building while friendly forces are assaulting and clearing it. While coordinating and isolating the target building, attacking forces must cover all enemy avenues of approach, including those that allow movement through connecting buildings and through any underground access. If another building connects to the target building, and if friendly forces have time to do so, consider clearing the adjacent building first, especially if the adjacent building can be more easily isolated from its surroundings. Doing so not only will deprive the enemy from using it to reinforce the target building, but may also provide a more favorable breaching point for assaulting forces to enter the target building. First, the attacking force must be task-organized into security and assault elements. The security elements are responsible for isolating the target building and providing overwatch to the assault elements. In their role as security elements, it is critical that such elements as a whole have a clear line of sight to all avenues of ingress or egress from the target building. Security elements are also responsible for identifying breach points into the target building. Now, assault elements are typically further divided into one or more assault, support, or security teams. Assault teams are tasked with actually breaching the target building, establishing a foothold therein, and then clearing the building using close quarters combat TTPs. Support elements follow behind the assault elements, cover the long-axis threats such as hallways while the assault team clears rooms, and secures choke points such as hallway intersections and stairwells. Security elements are responsible for holding the foothold and to provide rear security for the assault and support teams. Once security elements have isolated the building, the assault elements use buildings and other terrain to obscure enemy observation as each element moves to its respective last cover and concealed position. This concealed movement is conducted to prevent the enemy from ascertaining the breach point for the assault elements and to prevent them from massing a strong defense at that location. In some instances, it may be beneficial to send a mock or diversionary assault team to a different section of the building from the actual breach point in an effort to pull defending enemy forces away from it.
After reaching their respective last covered and concealed positions, the assault teams move forward to breach the target building. If possible, assault elements should approach the building from a side where the enemy has limited visual vantage points, i.e. doors and windows, in which to observe the assaulting forces approach. The approach angle to the target building does not have to correspond to the side of the building to be breached. Once the building is reached, the assaulting force can then move around it to the breach point. Now let's stop a moment and discuss selection of breach points. Breach points should be selected based on the effect to be achieved on enemy located in the structure while taking into account intel and the shape of the target building. Do not select a breach point based on how accessible it is. Be willing to accept some reasonable risk in selecting breach points. It is better to have a difficult breach into a section of the building that dominates the rest of it than a smooth breach in an area where the assault elements cannot establish a viable foothold or otherwise become bogged down. Whenever possible, do not rely on a single breach point. Use multiple breach points so that if one becomes non-viable, you can transition to another. Upon reaching the breach point, the assault elements utilize CQB TTPs to breach an entryway, door, or window to gain access to the building. If possible, complete the initial building breach as stealthily as possible. If that is not possible, clear the area immediately around the breach point as quickly as possible and establish defensive positions against possible immediate counterattack. Once the assault element successfully breaches the building and establishes a foothold, the security elements continue operations to prevent the enemy from reinforcing the target building or staging a counterattack. Now, once the initial breach is successful and a foothold is established, Tactical elements should move to defensive positions covering all enemy avenues of approach in close proximity to the foothold and set security. The purpose of footholds serve as positions for consolidation and coordination of further building clearing efforts. Footholds can also serve as a base of fire from which entry team elements can assault or break contact. Finally, footholds can act as rally points for friendly forces. Once the initial foothold is securely established, Entry teams can then proceed to clear the rest of the target building. This is best done by establishing additional footholds on each floor near critical hallway junctures and stairways. Once a foothold is established on each floor, enemy teams can push out to clear the rest of the floor. Entry teams must then methodically clear each floor of the target building before moving on to another. Whenever possible, clear and eliminate all enemy forces on each floor in a sequential manner including all small rooms, closets, and furniture. This will lessen the risk of enemy forces infiltrating from an uncleared room and attacking entry teams from the flank or rear. Assault elements should establish security at critical hallway junctures, stairways, and elevator banks to prevent enemy freedom of movement in the building and to provide force protection for other entry teams on that floor. Similarly, it is critical to establish a significant security element at each stairway and working elevator bank to prevent enemy access to floors occupied by assaulting forces. This is especially true where a particular stairway is one of the few avenues of approach to a particular part of the building or to one or more objectives. Stairways, ladders, and elevator banks are critical to controlling avenues of approach between floors. We'll start discussing close quarters battle or CQB tactics, techniques, and procedures beginning with our first episode of season two later this month. Now, defending in urban terrain is a completely different animal. Unlike other environments, such as wooded or mountainous areas, urban terrain contains unique characteristics that allow for a very strong and lethal defense to be conducted. The density, construction, and complexity of man-made physical terrain 
in urban areas allows defenders to rapidly use or shape the environment to further strengthen their defense plan. These defense plans should seek to break apart an attacking formation, separate mounted from dismounted forces, limit the attacker's ability to maneuver, to degrade intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, and aerial strike capabilities, to maximize surprise, and to either defeat the attackers in detail or buy time for other actions or operations. Initially, we should note that the urban defender has the advantage. Most military theorists recognize that the defense is the stronger tactical position. It requires much more force to attack and defeat an enemy that has established a properly constructed defense in urban terrain than in the open. This is especially true where much of the physical structures in urban terrain provide strong defensive positions. In addition, urban terrain reduces the attacker's advantages in intelligence, reconnaissance, use of close air support, and the attacker's ability to engage the defender at a distance. More importantly, defenders can often see and engage the attackers while they approach because they have limited cover and concealment. Defenders also tend to maintain a greater relative freedom of maneuver over the attacker because the defenders have established covered and or concealed avenues of approach and withdrawal. The defenders have also had time to establish movement routes between positions to facilitate massing of forces at a particular location as needed. Frequently, defending units will use a combination of perimeter defense combined with strong points to hold key urban terrain. Strong points can be created by reinforcing pre-existing buildings and structures for that purpose. Defenders should also use obstacles to turn attacking forces away from strong points and into kill zones. Use of barbed wire, mines, rubble, and similar obstacles can both effectively divert attacking forces away from strong points while exposing them to overlapping fires from other defensive positions. This tactic is especially effective in neutralizing vehicular support when it is not attacking in a combined force with infantry. Now, central to the defense of key terrain and urban terrain is the use of machine guns and squad automatic weapons. These weapons with their high volume of fire are essential to controlling avenues of approach in urban environments. These weapons should be in place where they can cover the length of major roads leading to key terrain or objectives. Doing so can effectively create a barrier to enemy troops attempting to move along or across the roads in question. And placement of such support weapons on upper floors of buildings can effectively end the enemy assault before it reaches its intended breach point. In addition, defending forces must utilize their reconnaissance assets in an effort to determine the main point of the enemy's attack and to shift forces to thwart that attack when the opportunity to do so arises. Also important to the defense in urban terrain are small anti-tank hunter teams. Such teams are placed in close ambush for vehicles where their position cannot be easily observed by attacking forces until their vehicular support is exposed to attack are effective in defeating vehicular attack, especially if the ambush is conducted far forward of defensive positions. Vehicles that are unsupported by infantry are particularly vulnerable to attack in urban terrain. Such anti-tank teams should be used in a hit-and-run fashion to avoid effective enemy counterattack. Defenders also need to establish observation posts or surveillance and recon teams in high buildings or structures with good lines of sight throughout the urban AO. Such positions provide heightened situational awareness for the defending force and can act as fort observers to direct accurate fires on attacker positions. Finally, defenders in buildings need to control entry points into their building to prevent successful breach and establishment of footholds in the building by attackers. Use of sentries in various locations throughout the building with lines of sight, 
to all avenues of approach can detect and warn other defenders in the building of the approach of enemy assault elements. Defenders should also maintain control over choke points such as hallway intersections, stairways, and elevators. I hope you've enjoyed this last episode of Season 1. Tune in next week when we're going to discuss an overview of CQB methodology as our first episode of Season 2. If you have any topics you would like to see covered in future episodes of Tactical Tuesday, please let us know by posting it on the Modern Milson Facebook page. If it's not one of the topics we are already planning to cover, we will likely add it to our ever-growing topic list. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, as well as many other podcast directories. As always, thank you for your support, and I'll see you in our next episode. See you then. To our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to providing you with new episodes every two weeks. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please subscribe and provide us with a review. We want to know what you like and how we can improve. You can also contact us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash modern with any suggestions you may have. In our next episode of Tactical Tuesday, we will discuss an overview of CQB, aka set up a line of porta potties and someone will clear them. If you want to know more about application of real world tactics, techniques and procedures to MILSIM, please check out from Alpha to Omega, a MILSIM tactical primer and training manual, as well as from insertion to extraction, advanced MILSIM CQB tactics, techniques, and procedures. Both books are available at amazon.com. As always, thank you for your support, and I'll see you at our next installment of Tactical Tuesday.